We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on everyday major sports, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. I've seen teams pack it in, losing their best player. Surrender. They have not the mentality of a surrendering team. Oh, what a shot by Booker! Hanging in the air and then going around the defender to bank it home. Wow. That's one you got to see again. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? Ten games in a row, my friend. I'm doing pretty well right now. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, too. I'll be honest. I've been sick for a while. Yep. Uh, we're coming at you guys much later than normal. Apologies. Usually we, would have a, yeah, usually we would have an episode and a Patreon episode by this time of the week. Uh, I apologize, but I feel better now. Well enough to record... Uh, I'm sorry if I cough or make some weird noise at some point during this podcast, uh, but we appreciate your guys' patience. Um, happy to be back. Nice that the Suns won so many games between the last time we recorded and right now. It's been a really fun win streak so far. And gave us a nice round number to come back and record on. Exactly. Just 10 in a yeah. row. I already know what your title for the episode is going to be because we never think about it until afterwards. It's just <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's very nice. And uh, yeah, we have a lot to talk about because it's been enough games. It's still very small sample sizes to work with, but enough games that we like to take some sort of uh, stock in the team by looking at statistics. And then we pitch them back and forth. Uh, People who have listened to this podcast for a long time will recognize this format for us. Sam and I separately look up stats and then we just read them to each other, and then we try to give context to those stats and do analysis based on what they say. Keep in mind that we know 
that it's still relatively small sample sizes right now. We already know. So we know this isn't indicative of the entire season. Uh, we just find them interesting at this point of the season. And, and uh, we, we like to keep, keep track of them now to see how they change in the future. Because I know not everyone out there is a stats person, even if you are a regular listener of this podcast, you should know there's somewhat of a reputation for stat-based analysis, I would think, at this point. Yeah. Um, we also know, you don't have to tell us, that stats are not the be-all, end-all. We right. know. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, at this point in the season, it's just about trying to identify trends and patterns, maybe some things that are a little bit different from last year, and trying to suss out what's real and what's not. And, you know, yeah. it doesn't, it's not life or death. Mm-hmm. Nothing is at this point. Um, but yeah, that's the general goal here. We know that certain stats mean less than others and yeah. not everything has to be blown out of proportion. So go in with that open, open mind. And I think we'll have a good time here. I think to some extent, it's about setting a baseline too. Like we're, we're understanding where they're at now and where they can build from. Because last season, which is the first time that we did these episodes throughout the season, I think we did three uh, we saw a trend with the statistics where they started at the beginning of the season, where they ended at the end of the season was this drastically different thing when it came to a lot of these stats. And it ended up painting a really interesting picture of the season. It also gave us context to look at what we're looking at so far this season and apply it to what we learned from these stats last season. And I think for me at least, and I know we'll, we'll I'll talk to you about what you saw. Uh, it, it, Put me in a different sort of mode as far as thinking about these stats, understanding what we saw last season and looking at these stats this season. I'll start and then we'll just go back and forth. Um, what I wanted to do first is talk about the 10 game win streak. So the Phoenix Suns are currently on a 10 game win streak. They could extend that to 11 games against a team, uh, a Mavericks team that may still be missing Luka Doncic tomorrow. We're recording this on Thursday. Uh, the game once again on ESPN. On Friday, the last time the Phoenix Suns had a 10-game win streak was March 14th, 2010 to April 2nd, 2010, which, by the way, was a nice time to go on a win streak considering it's right before the playoffs. It's just a few weeks before the playoffs started for that 2010 team. Uh, I think you can guess this. Who do you think was the leading scorer in that 10-game win streak for the Phoenix Suns in 2010? No doubt it was Amari Stoudemire. Correct. Amari Stoudemire, 27 points, 9 rebounds. And this is crazy. In that stretch, in his 27 points, he was shooting just 14.5 field goal attempts per game to get to 27 points. How insane is that? Yeah. <laughs> he was he was nuts, man. Uh, the, the starting lineup from that crew is pretty interesting to me. Yeah. Though, because it was more. not... Yep, keep going, keep going. Ten point, by the way, 10.7 free throw attempts per game in that 10-game win streak for Amari Stoudemire. He could not be stopped. Basically, if he got into the paint and he had the ball in his hands, he was either dunking or he was being fouled. That, by the way, the 2010 year was also the year where he really opened up his game with a mid-range game. That mid-range game, of course, allowed him to just catch it and shoot if he was open for mid-range, but if they played up on him, of course, you know what Amari was going to do. Take a single dribble, go directly towards the basket, get fouled or dunk. The second leading scorer, I'm assuming you could probably guess this too if you'd like to, for that team. Do you want to guess? Well, there's a couple options technically. Um, I, I guess, uh, well, is it the obvious choice or the not obvious choice? It's, I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know what you would consider the obvious choice. 
I mean, the obvious choice is probably Steve Nash, a former MVP. I was going to say maybe Jason Richardson it's came Jason in at Richardson. second here. Jason okay, there Richardson. you go. Yeah, he kind of filled in that that role during those seasons. This, he, he took was a only lot of there. shots. He was only there for like two, two and a half years, right? Yeah. But he yeah. filled in that, I don't want to say Sean Marion role, because he was really just an offensive player. I'm trying, the, the Suns yeah. kind of didn't have, he was kind of like a Joe Johnson, another Joe Johnson. A traditional type. shooting guard. Traditional shooting guard, yeah. But yeah. but a volume shooter, more than just like a spot-up guy. I yeah, very little assists, but a lot of shots. 19.8 points per game for that win streak for Jason Richardson. So quite a, quite a bit. I mean, uh, that's like higher than his average on the season, basically 20 points per game. Steve Nash averaged 14 points, 10.7 assists, and four rebounds on 50-53-88 shooting splits. So that's 50% from the field, 53% from three, only 88%. 88? From the line, yeah, only scrub. By the way, kind 10, of a scrub. Okay, fourteen points. Uh, sorry, fourteen points a game. Ten point seven assists, four rebounds. During this current win streak, Chris Paul is averaging fifteen points, ten point four assists, and four rebounds. Almost exactly the same stats as Steve Nash in those two um, win streaks. The difference is Steve Nash was one of the most efficient players of all time, whereas Chris Paul finds ways to be efficient. During this win streak, not as good as he normally is. 48% from the field, still good. 33% from the three-point line and 80% from the line. With Chris Paul, what's kind of miraculous in this specific win streak, that 48% of the field includes almost no layups at all. (laughs) So like that efficiency is just an insanely high efficiency on mid-range shots. Um, the on the current Suns win streak, Devin Booker averaged twenty three six and five on eighteen field goal attempts per game, which is very efficient as well. Uh, and then Aiton, even Joe, even though Aiton was just in four of those games, eighteen point five points in those games, sixty four point eight percent field goal percentage. Aiton very very efficient. Do you have a guess? Do you want to even try to guess what team ended the original two thousand ten uh, Suns streak? Yeah, I have no idea. Um, was it a good team? Was it a bad team? <laughs> it was a bad team. In it was the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, okay. Led by Brandon Jennings and his oh, 23 points. <laughs> That's who ended the original 10-game win streak for the Phoenix Suns. So for the first time in 11 years, over 11 years, the Phoenix Suns are on a 10-game win streak, the longest win streak of Devin Booker's career. Previously, was that- it was eight games in the bubble or nine games in the playoffs, depending on which one you count. Was that the same year that Brandon Jennings dropped 50? Because I know he did that one year. Uh, and I wonder... Wasn't that his rookie year? Like He was really young when he dropped Like 50, his rookie right? year, I think Brandon Jennings versus Steph was a conversation, <laughs> which is so funny to think about now. Like, uh, yeah, now that I'm would looking, be Brand- his rookie year then, yeah. Brandon Jennings is 32 today. Wow. And he's ancient history in the NBA. It's <laughs> yeah. just, it really is a testament to like not just Steph, but like any star who who's still kicking it at like 33 plus how ridiculous it is to really last in the NBA that long. Well, then, I you have guys like, then you have guys like Udonis Haslam, by the way, who played minutes yesterday. I don't know if <laughs> yeah, you saw that. Yeah. I think it also illustrates just how difficult it is to go on a 10-game win streak. It's very rare just in general. And it does not matter to me how good the teams are that you're beating because 10 games in a row is really difficult no matter what. The Suns really only had two teams that were over 500 in their win streak. Um, and so, you know, they, they are going to have some tests going forward. If Luka Doncic comes back, that'll be the first major test for them outside of the Cavs who were playing well when the Suns beat them. Uh, but you know, Brandon Jennings and the Bucks beat the Suns. If every team could easily beat bad teams, there would be a lot more 10 game win streaks in the NBA. And how about really rare? 
How about this for a coincidence, by the way? Who I just looked it up. Brandon Jennings had 55 points in a game in his rookie year. Who was it against? The Golden State Warriors. Ah. Steph Curry in that game, 14 points on six of nine shooting. Not bad. Brandon wow. Jennings, 55 points on 21 of 34 from the field, seven of eight from deep. So mm. I think, yeah, I think at the time it was a conversation. Yeah. I mean, just if like you Chris, score 55 points in your rookie year, you, you think it's all going to go up from there. And it just wild. doesn't always go up. All right. You want to give me one of your stats? That's all I got for the 10 game win streak. Yeah, let's let's get into it. So uh, I want to talk specifically. Obviously, they've been they've been the best at this also during the ten game win streak. But I want to talk about the Suns in the clutch because it just as an ode to it, it's it's been insane. It, mm-hmm. it, like Mike, it has been legitimately insane. I'm going to read to you the team stats for the Phoenix Suns during the clutch according to the NBA's website. The NBA's website. I think we've we've talked about this stat a million times before. But for those who don't know, it defines clutch situations as the scores within five points, five minutes or less in the game. So between up five and down five. In those situations so far this season, the Suns are shooting 65% from the field as a team, 46% from deep as a team. That is a 74% true shooting, which would be like the most efficient player of all time, except the entire team is doing it with an offensive rating of 139 points per 100 possessions and a defensive rating of 78 points per 100 possessions so obviously this is on a small sample size they've only played in a handful of clutch games yada yada you can't extrapolate that out but what these stats are basically saying is that so far the suns have been the pinnacle of the the best possible execution you could ever see in the clutch they are playing like a team that goes out there, and if you extrapolated, they would blow out every team they play by 60 points <laughs> over the course of a full game. That's what right. they're playing like in the clutch. And to talk specifically about guys, because obviously we know who these shots are going to. We've watched the games. Booker is 9 for 12 from the field. Chris Paul is 5 for 8 from the field. So even though, like you were talking about, maybe not his most efficient stretch uh, for the 10-game stretch in general, he's done it in the clutch, and he also has 9 assists to only 1 turnover in his clutch play and then the shooters have shot well that's mikhail bridges jay crowder the big men have finished whether it's a game where deandre ayton starts javel mcgee starts frank kaminsky goes off like it's nuts like regression is to be expected here with this stat so this is not one of the stats that i'm saying is predictive no one shoots 65 percent in clutch situations over a full season however just to highlight how insane they are right now I mean, like, they really do just flip a switch in the fourth quarter in a way that I haven't seen this team ever do in the past. That's what's been going on for the past couple weeks. When the season was getting ready to start, we commonly mentioned the word continuity. (laughs) And when we talked about continuity, what we expected is that the Suns would come out of the gate playing really well together because they were used to each other. We're going to get into some stats later, for me at least, that show that that's not exactly true. But where it has been true is in the clutch. When things start to get tight, uh, this team knows where each other's going to be. They understand who's going to take the shots, and they've done the right things. I'm excited to see them tested against teams like the Warriors, the Nets, uh, the Bulls, who have been very, very good lately. Uh, the Clippers, who've been very, very good as well, although up and down a little bit more, uh, and, and see how they do in those situations as well. Because uh, for teams that they're clearly better than, that they're outclassing, 
it's obvious at times in the game. It's incredibly obvious at the end of the games. And I do have a stat to go with this. Actually, we were talking about before we recorded that we might overlap here. Uh, for players who have at least five games where they've played in the clutch and have attempted at least one and a half field goals in those games, Devin Booker is number one in field goal percentage at 75% in that nine for 12 that you said. He's also number two in three three point percentage at 60%. So he's essentially, as far as people who have actually played in clutch situations, the best player in the league so far in the clutch. Interestingly, Steph Curry, as far as these parameters go, which are, I think there were like 30-something players, is last. <laughs> no way. At, at 18% in, in clutch situations shooting shots. Uh, for the record, I know people want to know this, Zach Levine is... <laughs> 27th in that statistic. Now, here's one thing I'll say. Steph is launching threes at all points of the game, and that's a good thing because that's what he should do. But I think there is something to be said about just raw field goal percentage on three-pointers compared to other shots at the very, very end of games. Because, yes, the analytics say over the course of a game, three-point shots are more valuable even at a lower percentage. When you need one bucket at the end of the game, you just need it to go in. <laughs> and that's it. So I think Steph Curry and Levine in this percentage are shooting a lot more threes. That's not always good. Look, if you're down three and there's 10 seconds left, shoot a three. Of course, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Uh, but there are times where you got to find a better shot here. But just to illustrate it, of course, Chris Paul's been good. And I think the rest of the shooters have been good. But Devin Booker alone has been essentially so far the best player in the clutch offensively this season. Just with what you were saying about threes, like I I just couldn't agree more. All of the mathematicians who I respect have said something similar in the past, that there's this balance to be drawn between the expected value of shooting threes versus shooting mid-range shots, which oftentimes good three-point shooters, higher expected value. But then you get down to the last two minutes of a game, and it's about variance. It's a question of variance. You can't afford to to have a 30 35% shot sometimes versus a 45% shot when it's a one-possession game. So, yeah, it's it's yep. just it makes, it makes sense. And it's all the more reason this is not to discredit Steph at all because he's been phenomenal. And, you know, and those obviously stats the, will go up. And, and is in the MVP conversation right now for sure. But uh, it's, it's more just about one more reason why building a well-rounded roster that has the ability to attack from three but also get to your spots in the mid-range um, can benefit you when you get into those situations. And that's yes. not always something that that teams are given or GMs more specifically are given appropriate credit for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they, look, Devin Booker, uh, one of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA, of course, but like just, just to think about it, if, if it's not making sense what we're saying here, if Here's you're down question. by one, if you're down by one, and you shoot a shot that's like a 35% pull-up three-pointer, or you shoot a shot that's a 45% pull-up mid-range shot, the 35% pull-up three-pointer over the course of the game is more valuable by points per possession. But if you're talking about winning a game with one second left shooting a shot, you win the game 10% more when you shoot that mid-range shot. It's just raw field goal percentage does matter just at the very, very, very end of the shot clock at the very end of the game. I have uh, a question for a you. Question, and- yes. I don't blame you. Do you have the stats up if I ask for where I a don't. certain player ranks? Okay. That's I fine. might remember, though. I'd be curious where Kevin Durant is. Uh, I think he was somewhere in the middle of that group, but relatively okay. high, like in the upper because half. Because we're, 
we're talking about mid-range shots, and you were talking about you'd be interested in seeing them go up against the Warriors, but also the Nets. The Nets are on the opposite end of the spectrum right now, where KD is unconscious on from everywhere. Shots. Yeah, he can't from everywhere. <laughs> for, yeah. No, that's true, with the exception of a couple games from everywhere. Um, but he can't miss from the mid-range. Yeah. So I have a feeling that game's going to be a lot of fun. Again, I'm going to that game in Brooklyn. That's in right. A week. That's right. Yeah. Really excited for that. Yes, that'll be nice. Yeah, and um, surprisingly, relatively high. And this is credit to the mid-range theory here. Dennis Schroeder was actually pretty high on this list, like in the top three, top four. Jokic was pretty high in the list. Jokic has the ability to get to the rim and can shoot really high percentages from mid-range. Of course, still a good three-point shooter was really high in the list. Paul George, who can do it all is also relatively high in that list. So I think the, the guys who have the biggest bag, the guys who can shoot the most types of shots, generally I think will be the highest um, on that list. But yeah, I mean, clutch, clutch, clutch play by the team. Clutch, clutch, clutch play by Devin Booker, which I think is nice because he had a down year uh, last year when it came to clutch. This is more what we're used to when it comes to Devin Booker uh, and this team. I know I, I read out one of my stats there, so do you want me to just read another one since uh, since it was essentially the same? I think you have more than me, so yeah, yeah let's go might, with that. Yeah. Okay, I brought this up on multiple episodes. Pace. Perfect, yep. And we wanted to talk about it on this one. Suns pace. The Suns are currently fourth in the NBA in pace. That means they're the fourth fastest team in the NBA. The pace is 101.9, uh, which is a measurement of total possessions essentially during a game. It's the fastest pace of Chris Paul's career. And it's like it's like the third or fourth fastest pace of Devin Booker's career. The early Suns teams for Devin Booker played very, very fast. But this is significantly fast for Chris Paul. The Suns were essentially in the bottom five. The majority of last year, I think, crept up to like 23, 24 towards the end of the season when they tried to pick up the pace a little bit. Um, but there is clear intention to push the ball up the floor. It's not a coincidence that they're this fast. And uh, I'd like to hear what you think about this. I know you well, were a little I, unconvinced at first. Yeah, so you brought it up. That's that's okay. I expected you to, to bring that up. I will... It is important to admit when you are wrong. And in the first couple weeks of the season, I definitely was like, I don't believe it. Because I just... I don't. I mean, I Which had... Which was fair. It's early were, in yes, the season. Thank you. It is fair. Because let's be honest, as you know, someone who watched every game just like you did last year and the year before... There was no reason to believe. Also, in the history of Monty Williams' coaching career, there has been no reason to believe that he would ever push the pace because he never has. Up until this point, his teams with with the Pelicans were very slow too. Chris Paul and too. Granted, yeah, and Chris Paul. And the, the offense he runs with the Suns is much different than the offense he ran with the Pelicans. He came back to his first head coaching gig in five years. He understood where the league went, how it, was, how it had modernized essentially, and he created a system that reflected that. But still, when he came to Phoenix, even when he had Ricky Rubio and, and, and Aaron Baines and Kelly Oubre in that first season, slow team that didn't necessarily capitalize on transition points um, the way you would expect them to, at least. They were, you know, maybe middle of the pack. Um, so, yeah, this was a surprise. I didn't, I didn't expect it. But here we are. Yeah. I, like, enough time has passed now that I can say this is for real. They really did bring an emphasis on this going into the season. And I guess the only other question that that leaves is, well, is it working or not? Obviously, you look at the results yeah, right now. I would right. say it's working. Yeah. Um, does it have an effect on guys throughout the course of a season and being able to load manage, essentially? That might be an interesting question. But mm -hmm. so far, I don't think the Suns are really playing anyone enough minutes for that to be a major concern of mine. Yeah. 
But yeah, I, I agree. And here's, I think, why it was smart to do that this year. Being able to run essentially the most or one of the most efficient half-court offenses is a major, major strength for this team. We just read the clutch stats. This team does not run the entire uh, the entire game. If the Suns are up towards the end of the game, they might spend the entire fourth quarter or at least half of the fourth quarter milking the clock for all it's worth. And that means that that actually drags the pace down. That means the majority of the game, they're even faster in the pace. And I think this stat actually uh, shows that they're only 19th in fast break points per game. Uh, even though they're fourth in pace, they can score in transition. They're incredibly efficient in transition so far, but that is not their meat and potatoes, if you will. They are getting into their offense quickly, but they're not always just running to the rim and trying to score right away. They might get into the offense quickly and run things fast. That's what Monty likes, but towards the end of the game, they will stretch it out. And they got used to that last year by playing a lot of time at that relatively slow pace. That means like some young teams that will play fast and then try to slow it down at the end of the season and then the whole offense breaks apart. That's not happening to the Suns. They are still able to do both of those things incredibly efficiently. And that's the mark of a really good team. And I think if they tried to run too fast last year, they may not have both of those things down this year. I think it worked out really well for them continuity baby yep you know another part of this name of the game booker is averaging this is part of this it's not a separate stat i know i'm 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 reading more stats now booker is averaging two full rebounds more no shut up shut up shut up shut up (laughs) okay we'll save that one we'll save that one (laughs) well i just want to now i just want to do it now oh do yours Um, i'm sure you have something related to that let's jump right into it so i don't know if you knew this mike but booker is actually averaging almost (laughs) two full (laughs) rebounds per game (laughs) more um than he did last year than any um, point so he, of his career than any point of his career so yes this this was one of my stats is devin booker is rebounding low-key becoming and i feel like you know even a lot of people in the sun sphere haven't necessarily noticed this i've seen a couple of people bring it up so credit to those of you who have 6.2 rebounds per game <laughs> is the highest of his career the the he's never averaged more than four and a half even so, I mean, it's almost like a 50% increase over his next best year. He's low-key becoming one of the best rebounders for a player of his size in the NBA. Right. And specifically where I think you were going with this before I demanded that I steal it back from you was <laughs> there is benefit. Rebounding is interesting, right? Because I try not to label anything necessarily an empty stat. But we have you, you can't deny... We have seen examples of players in the NBA in the modern era. Uh, I'm not going to name any names. Actually, I will name names. Russell Westbrook, Luka Doncic. We yeah. all know them. Yeah. Where rebounding is kind of, it can, there's an emptiness to Steph it. Steph Curry the, at times. At times. there's there's. I mean, Steph has the transition pull-up threat, which makes him so scary if he gets it. But yep. with these other guys, it's like, you know, it's kind of just there to aid the triple-double, but it doesn't necessarily do anything. Um. Booker here, as the Suns try and put an emphasis on pushing the pace, he gets more defensive rebounds. He's able to push it and get into their offense much quicker. However, I would also like to point out his offensive rebound rate is literally double of what it was last season. So this is not part of it is a defensive rebounding thing. He's collecting the ball earlier and then he's pushing. But the other half of it is he's making a more concerted effort to attack the offensive glass too. So just in general, overall, small sample, whatever, 
But Devin Booker is having by far the best rebounding season of his career. And in this particular case, I don't think it's empty at all. I think it is objectively helping the Suns offense all around. Yeah. Luca, uh, you know, Russ, even Booker at this point, they're not going out there and jumping over guys and getting rebounds out of their area like Dennis Rodman. Uh, their guys are boxing out for them, and instead of standing at half court, they're standing under the rim. It's it's basically a different strategy here. The idea being, if if Booker's man tries to pick him up, you know, above the three point line, closer to half court, then Booker can use that speed to get by him and get fouled. I've, I told you actually when you were here because it happens so much uh, that Book's most effective transition play is getting fouled. It, it really is because he I think people still to this day underestimate his speed and his ability to pull up from mid-range I think has a big effect on this he basically slightly hesitates in mid-range and then just blows by him and then it gets hit in the hip and then he gets free throws out of that every time he's gotten very good at putting the ball up in the glass sometimes even gets it in in those scenarios and he gets free throws out of those the the big difference is instead of waiting for the ball at half court which he'll still do of course every guard does He's in there in the mix. He's trying to get that board. He's trying to push the pace with the ball in his hands right away. And and it's led to the, a drastic uh, increase in his rebounding. And it is effort-wise. And it's also other players on the floor sacrificing essentially their rebounds because they know it'll help the offense on the other end of the floor. Something Steven Adams was famous for with Russell Westbrook. Just, just giving the rebound essentially to Russ and allowing him to run it down the floor I think it's really smart, and I kind of wish that it was something that we had talked about before because I, I, I just didn't expect it. And I think he's very capable of it because I think he has he has speed, he has good hops, and also good awareness, court awareness. And it just makes a lot of sense, and it helps the pace out a lot, I think. Yeah, I think possibly because we were just so used, to, and, and, and he's dominating the ball again in many respects, but we were so used to the Chris Paul-centric offense last year. And then Booker gets to his spots. You know, you have him in those elbow sets running off, pin downs and whatever you'll get him his mid-range shots but we weren't necessarily used to that division of labor and I, I feel like we are starting to see it a little bit more this year where it's it's more of a point of emphasis so right they've they've come a long way and and also you know this should not be surprising because we expected this to be the case all along when we required uh, when we acquired Chris Paul but we know for a fact that last year there was a long stretch of time where the Suns basketball was not being played um, they were not playing their best basketball with those two on the floor together and that is just, it's not at all the case anymore. If I don't know if this is one of your stats, so maybe I should shut up at this point. But just the net ratings, I can just say generically, the net ratings with Devin Booker and Chris Paul on the floor together are so much better than when it's just one of them or, of course, when it's neither of them. So yeah. they've totally they've totally figured it out. Yeah. Uh, just to read it out, just in just five games this year, he has either eight or nine rebounds so far. And that's just something that just was not the case before. It just wasn't happening that often. He has 25 games total in his career with over eight rebounds, and five of them have come this season. So it's clearly more of an effort to do that, and I think it'll some, it'll be something that continues for him. And it, it's also something that sort of, it just bolsters his numbers for those box score watchers. So reputation-wise, <laughs> yeah, and you know bit, what? Yeah. You know what else it does? It affects advanced stats. And, it does. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> yeah, it affects... Isn't that um, dumb? <laughs> It's, it's going to have a big effect. Actually, people sometimes people have asked in the past, why is Devin Booker's uh, VORP bad? Right, right. 
I think this is a niche topic of conversation that probably doesn't interest the majority of our listeners, so I'm going to spend a very small amount of time on it. Um, I could say in the past we've discussed there's like a lot of reasons for it um, that are kind of implicit, but definitely one of those big reasons is you grab more rebounds, your BPM, which is the basketball reference advanced stat, the box plus minus, um, heavily favors guys who grab rebounds, whether Mm -hmm. they matter or not, whether they're Mm -hmm. contested rebounds or uncontested rebounds, like in the case of Russell Westbrook and Steven Adams for all those years. So if you just do something as simple as grab more defensive rebounds, uh, that type of stat is going to consider you a better defensive player in kind of a weird way. And then, yeah, all of your advanced stats get boosted that way. So we may see that effect as well. It's the all-encompassing advanced stats that get boosted by this. Like, you know, not necessarily net rating or something like that, but the Vorps. The Raptors, the LeBrons, the ones that are named after guys often, those are the ones that get boosted by that. And oftentimes centers are at the top of it. Uh, You know, somebody like Jokic, who is across the board, just like leading all of these advanced stats, deservedly so incredibly efficient, good passer, but also has all those rebounds added into it, which I think adds to his case, which when you compare to Steph Curry... Like if you're talking about the MVP race or something, it's kind of dumb to just factor in those because he's the guy that gets the rebounds. Like it's just not part yeah. of the, you know. With Jokic, it's a little bit different, I think. I mean, you're right. With Jokic, I would argue it's a little bit different just because he's shooting like 60% from the field. Like he, oh, yeah, he couldn't, know. he also couldn't be having a better offensive season so far I guess this my, year. My point but yeah, is he does, he does get that. separate it. I think yeah. if you're if you're a voter, if you're someone deciding on that, you have to separate the advanced stats and understand the context of those advanced stats when factoring them in. Some of them, I think, factor that in as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. 
All right. How about uh, I'll read one of mine now? You should. Okay. <laughs> We're talking about net rating. I'm gonna get right yeah. into it. But I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do some lineup stats now. Okay. Uh, out of lineups that have played at least 60 minutes, we're dealing with small sample sizes here. <laughs> so, yes, it's a small sample size, but that's what all we have. Take a drink every time you hear us say it <laughs> in this episode. Out of lineups that have played at least 60 minutes, number three in net rating is the starters with Frank Kaminsky at yeah. plus 25. At plus 25. Go. How crazy is that? Essentially, the offensive rating for that uh, that lineup would be the best offensive rating of all time by like an extreme amount, which of course points to regression and that it's not necessarily that good. But it also, to me, is pretty remarkable to just have that high of a net rating with any lineup for the team. But here's the kicker. Number four in the entire NBA the starters with JaVale McGee at plus 23.6. How wild is that? Those two, those two what currently. Do you, what are you trying to say? Well, here's the other part. I'll, I'll get to it. The next lineup that the Suns even have on these uh, over 60 minutes is the starters with Aiton. Currently a minus point or minus 5.6. It's, it's in the negative so far. For those who don't know what net rating is, it's a measurement of essentially are you getting outscored when you're on the, the floor or are you scoring more than the opponents when you're on the floor. So currently, the starters with Frank, the starters with JaVale are two of the best lineups in the league so far, which of course is not sustainable. But also on the other side of that, the starters with DeAndre Ayton are getting beat. Now, we talked about continuity earlier. What we expected, you and I, or we we hoped for, really, is that the continuity would play into the beginning of the season, sort of regardless of the time that was on the floor. It's currently not doing that. But I was talking about when we were uh, previewing this segment that the context added to that is the Suns were in the negative with DeAndre Ayton for the first few months of the season last season. For whatever reason, whether it be conditioning or I'm not sure what it is, they got much, much better throughout the season. So the Suns have just won 10 in a row. But so far this season, the starters that all returned with DeAndre Ayton in the lineup are getting beat while they're on the floor. They won 10 in a row. And it's really, they are not clicking. Like they can get so much better than they're playing so far. They've they've done yeah. it sort of on the back of of bench players playing out of their mind in a way that's unsustainable. And they have an obvious growth path to get better with DeAndre Ayton on the floor. And this team could be even better, even though they've already won 10 games in a row. Pretty crazy, right? I mean, it's obvious for those who have who have watched. You just look at the way teams like the Pelicans, uh, the Rockets in one of their games, uh, the Timberwolves. The Trailblazers. The Trailblazers was, you mean, early in the season or uh, the during the streak? Uh, well, when Aiton played, I assume. When Aiton you're talking played, about yeah. defense. No, no, no. When Aiton played, no, no not quite. I'm, I'm just saying all of these teams, not good teams, even in games you won, have had leads. It, you know, there have only been a couple of games that were wire-to-wire victories. Like that game against Memphis was great. But for the most part, it hasn't been like games against Memphis. It's been allowing these teams to come in with really poor stretches. And a lot of those poor stretches have been the starters getting off to really slow starts in the first quarter and the third quarter. And yes, that has been with DeAndre Ayton more than the other two centers so far from what we've seen. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting to look at these stats. Uh, you and I, I think, have talked a lot about this um, online. It's something that I had I had hoped to make a, a video of, and I think it might be. We might be getting to the point where it might not be as relevant anymore. Might not be relevant anymore. They're we figuring to, it out a little bit more now. Well, we uh, needed to capitalize on the Frank thirty-one point wave. I think. <laughs> yes, we didn't drop the video then. I yeah. blame. Uh, I got sick. I be, I blame this cold, uh, but. What's happening is essentially there. Uh, a lot of teams are just trapping Chris Paul and Devin Booker a lot with DeAndre Ayton on the floor. And the fact is, I watched a lot of film in preparation for that video, so I can explain it a little bit here. When they trap with Frank Kaminsky, Chris Paul in particular, and Devin Booker, but Chris Paul more more specifically, trusts Frank Kaminsky to give him the ball even behind the three-point line if a trap is high enough. And then Frank Kaminsky does what he does with that, whether that be sort of his like stumbling, bumbling drive to the rim Passes to shooters, pass fakes, pull up shots from three if he if he wants to do that. Whatever it is, Frank will do that. JaVale as well. JaVale catches it. We know what he's going to do when he catches it. He's going to attack the rim no matter what. Now, I think what some people might be expecting me to say about DeAndre Ayton is that when DeAndre Ayton catches it in that area, he doesn't know what to do. But the reality is they don't give it to him there at all. And I watched so much film of this, so I promise you this is a, this is real. What happens essentially is Chris Paul, Devin Booker get trapped. If if the only option in the pass is DeAndre in, in the middle of the floor above the free throw line, like between the free throw line and the three-point line, 90% of the time they just reset and run a screen again. And when you reset and run a screen again, what you're doing now is you're running your offense with much less time on the shot clock. And that means that you have less time to do what you want to do. They're trying to get those screens to land, which is I think is really important for DeAndre to, to land those screens in, in these scenarios where they're trapping. Try and force the trap to be late, which allows Devin Booker or Chris Paul to be only one man instead of two, and it also can allow him to, to slip to the basket a little easier. That's the main thing that they're looking at here. They well, don't you, trust DeAndre in that scenario. We've seen him do so, it in the past, but for probably for good reason. But you understand, it sounds like what you're saying, and I know this is not what you're saying, but I want to force you to explain the distinction. Sure, sure, yeah. It sounds like you're saying feed Aiton. Uh, no, why no, no, are no. You, <laughs> Why are you not saying that? But you understand what I mean, right? Like, it yeah, sounds absolutely. like you're saying... You, uh, okay, here's the thing. It's a very logical conclusion for someone to hear what you just said. It's a logical conclusion that Aiton doesn't get the ball in those situations. For whatever reason, they're passing it to Frank and JaVale in those same situations. So they should just do the same thing for Aiton. Yeah. What's your explanation for why that is not happening? What the Suns need to do when DeAndre Aiton is on the floor is not get trapped above the the three-point line, essentially. Because if the traps can force Chris Paul or Devin Booker further and further out, that's when DeAndre Aiton lands in no man land. And this is why the, the screen is so important. They don't trust him in that scenario because, one, he can't shoot three-point shots. Two, he doesn't feel confident enough to dribble currently. And I'll be honest, if you want to say that he can't pass from that scenario, I don't think the stats, I don't think the film shows that. I think he's actually done a really good job at catching the ball in places and making the right passes so far this season to shooters. Not really capable of passing to cutters yet. I, I Based on what I've seen, wouldn't surprise me if that actually did come a little bit later. But right now, I think he's actually making the right passes to shooters. What the Suns need to do is ensure that when traps are coming, whether that be from the screens or running plays from different areas of the floor, like empty corner sets, is that the guards need to penetrate beyond the three-point line. If the guards can get beyond the three-point line and, and DeAndre Ayton finds a clear path to the rim closer to the basket, he becomes a lot more effective because when he catches the ball in those scenarios, 
there's a lot more options. He could post up, he can shoot the hook, he can he can catch a lob, or he can pass to shooters. If he's further and further away from the basket, it's the Suns and it's him in some in some cases because he needs to screen. It's up to them to find other ways to do it. And the the simple solution, I think, for a lot of people listening is can't DeAndre Ayton learn to do a lot of the things Frank can do? Eventually, yeah, but that's a lot. Like Frank has a lot of skills in his bag that he's capable of doing. We've said it before. Frank is in the NBA for his skills. Entirely he's not in the NBA. He's not in the NBA because of his athleticism. Because he's yeah. not. He's he doesn't have the athleticism of an NBA player, really. Yeah. For being honest, so his skills are actually really good. Like you cannot make fun of them because they're good. Absolutely. And, and look, DeAndre Ayton can do so much that Frank can't do, like catch lobs. I've never seen Frank catch a lob and dunk it. Uh, that's definitely not going to happen. Uh, so you know, as far as the things they can do in the short term is they need to find ways to penetrate. Aiton needs to ensure that those screens land if they're trapping a lot. Uh, and that's on the guards as much as it is on DeAndre Ayton. In the long term, uh, Aiton needs to come up with some moves from that. And I think what he's been testing out early this season is floaters on on uh, guys that are uh, coming off the corners that he could float it right over them. He's got the touch to do that. I don't mind that. Uh, but that, I think, is the area of his game that need to they, they need to get better at. And I think that 5.6 number, they got good at attacking traps last season. They're going to get better at it this season. The Suns will be absolutely fine in that lineup, I think. I will point out the floater. I don't hate it. It's definitely not going to get you the free throw line anymore yeah, often. Remember, right. we were talking about, we started this episode talking about Amari averaging 10 free throws a game over yeah. that stretch. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's not fair at this point to compare Amari and DeAndre because... Honestly, at this point, with what we know about each guy, I feel like there were so many comparisons drawn between them at the very beginning of Aiton's career here. Right, right. But now, people should know better. They're completely Nothing opposite. Alike. Yeah. Nothing alike. Opposite players. Um, but yeah, the floater's not, not going to do any better for yeah. him in, in that situation. I mean, um, the other option is shooting. If he can shoot really well from the yeah, mid-range yeah, area. Yeah, of yeah. course. Um, I, my next stat is kind of related to that. So I'm ready to move All on right. to it. Yeah. So I want to talk about that, but I want to talk about the other side of it because there's this relationship that we always see between the role gravity of a guy like Deandre Ayton, who obviously when defenses are choosing to trap they're they're paying a certain amount of attention to Deandre Ayton as well, who most of the time is going to be the obvious open man as a result of that defensive scheme. But the other side of that is where are you guarding the shooters? How are you guarding the shooters? And there's a seesaw effect between the role gravity, the role man, and the shooters and the shooting gravity. And it's one thing to say, like, when you just look at the random, um, the overall three-point percentage for the Suns this year, the Suns are shooting the ball solidly well. They're not shooting super well, but they're shooting fine. When you look more specifically, though, I think what's kind of interesting is this. the This year, the Suns are third in the NBA in corner shooting at 44.8%. Do you want to guess where they are in above the break shooting? Mm. I'm guessing in the 20s. Yep. Yeah. 23rd. They are third in corner shooting at 45%, basically. They are, which is like amazing. It's, I mean, just mm-hmm. think about that on a points per possession basis. Yeah. It's, it's an amaz- amazing shot. Yeah. 23rd and above the break shooting on 31.7%. And here's what I'll say. Normally, like when you look at basically every team in the league, it's normal to see a difference between those two shots for a couple of obvious reasons. The corner is shorter, so it's easier. It's more likely to be wide open. There's more likely to be like a bailout pass kind of at the end of a possession where the defense leaves a corner shooter open. Shots from above the break are more likely to be a little bit more contested. And shots from above the break are much more likely to be pull-ups, whereas you don't really see guys pulling up from, mm-hmm. you know, corners. Sometimes it's they do really sidesteps. 
Yeah, they do sidestep. Just Chris like Paul, J- really. <laughs> yeah, Jay Crowder might sidestep like every once in a while, but for the most yeah. part, they're just catch and shoot. So it's normal for every team to have basically, you know, five or 6% better on their corner shooting than their above the break shooting. But mm-hmm. it's not normal to have a 14% difference, and that's what the Suns have right now. That is a yeah. major, major difference. And so mm-hmm. part of what you can say is you look at some of the guys on this roster who shot really well from above the break last year. Um, Chris Paul has struggled. He's below 30% on above the break threes. Campaign has struggled. He's above, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, he's below. I, I I meant to say below 30%. And Campaign is also below 30% on above the break threes. Uh, Mikhail Bridges doesn't really take those, but he's not shooting super well. Um, there's Aiden one more does. example who I <laughs> Aiton does, and he obviously doesn't shoot them super well. There's one more example yeah. who I'm forgetting. Booker. Booker is honestly fine. Yeah, he's uh, doing oh, fine. Cam Johnson. Yeah. Cam Johnson is the other guy shooting below 30% to open the season on above the break threes. So yeah. basically what you have to do here is you have to decide, is this is this is there are we on the cusp of regression positive regression to the mean here where campaign is going to find his shot cam johnson is going to find a shot chris paul is going to find a shot because if the answer is no if you go another 10 games and the answer is no here's the concern how it relates back to what you were just talking about we've seen in the past if that math prevails defenses will trap the ball handler but in addition to trapping the ball handler, they're going to stay on corner shooters. And we've seen this in the past. They're not going to allow Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder to take those corner threes that the math is saying right now they are very, very good at. So what does that leave? Obviously, they're still going to have a tag man. They're just going to play him a little bit looser. And so the only mm-hmm. options that the Suns have in that type of offense is run their offense through eight and short rolls, which we yeah. just said, not not super comfortable at this point. Or you make a difficult pass you know, sometimes he'll be a guy, you know, it, it, say if it's Chris Paul or Devin Booker getting trapped on the wing, they could pass back. They could pitch it back to the guy at the top of the key. Maybe that's a Frank Kaminsky. Maybe it's a Jay Crowder. Maybe it, it could be whoever. But whoever it is, we know based on the math right now that that's not a great shot either. Or they can try and push through the trap and take a difficult mid-range shot or something. But that's not necessarily a great shot either. So my point is shooting is important, but also the type of, of shooting is important too. And the Suns are killing it on corner threes right now but that's kind of easy to shut off if you're a defense once you know to expect it uh it's it's definitely more difficult depending on the ball handler you're dealing with and a ball handler with the skill of chris paul it's very tough to like shut it off completely teams are still going to give up open corner threes to the suns every game and they're still going to hit them Uh, but eventually if this math continues the way it is yeah teams know that's all i'm saying really teams know and at a certain point you either need certain guys to wake up and hit their above-the-break threes. I'm looking at Cam Payne. I'm looking at Cam Johnson. looking at Chris Paul, even. Um, or you start to get to a discussion of, is this a need at the trade deadline? Like, mm-hmm. it, it, maybe the answer isn't on the roster, and we need to go address this need before the playoffs. Because definitely by the time of the playoffs, if it stays like this, teams will know. Yeah. Yeah, first first thing I'll say to that is, uh, that's really good analysis. So good work on that. Because that's actually really fascinating. I hadn't thought about that. Um, second is is uh, just shout out to Cameron Johnson, by the way, who's now shooting 34% from three. Not great, but it was real bad earlier in the season. And I think he's starting to get his shot back a little bit. I think, first of all, uh, one of the main reasons for that is the obvious ones, which is Cameron Payne and Chris Paul, mostly Chris Paul, just not shooting their normal percentage from that area. Because I think, I'm guessing Chris Paul and Devin Booker shot the most above the break threes for the Suns last season. 
The ideal scenario is that Landry Shamit joins this team. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Cameron Payne continued to shoot their normal percentages, and then the paint opens up for by all the, the way, cuts. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm glad you mentioned him because I don't have the stat in front of me, so I don't know exactly what the percentage is. But he was the one guy who stood out as Landry is hitting corner threes. He's yeah. also hitting the wing and above the yeah. break threes. He's doing, yeah. he's doing both. He's, he's doing their best three-point shooter now. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. 39.7% from three. Uh, past Mikael Bridges now, who's shooting 39% as well. Mikael's kind of struggled in the last game for the first three quarters. Uh, But yeah, I I do think that that's something that will probably normalize a little bit as the season goes. And I think we'll see more of a relatively normal uh, thing happening for the Suns there. Even Frank Kaminsky, for for all he's done for the team so far this season, only shooting 33% from three. One of the shooters that when he's on the floor... He's that's where he shoots from. Like he doesn't really shoot from the corner. He's gonna shoot from above the break. He shot really well last season. I think that's something that will normalize. This is another example, I think, of the Suns are playing well and they're not clicking. They could they're, play better. They could play they're better. On a, we're talking about a team on a ten game winning streak. We have every reason to be ecstatic with their level of play right now, and that's why we open the episode with like several stats just about how awesome they are. Yeah. And yet they can play better. Like they, it's, it's just, just obvious yeah. watching, and it's great. That's a great thing, right? It's it'd be it'd be worse if we were looking at the stats and going, "Oh, this isn't sustainable." They're not going to be able to keep this going. It's the right. other way around right now. Like we're I would be a team I, that could get I, a lot better. I would be worried. I would be afraid of being that guy because I know fans don't like when you're that guy. But like, if the Suns right now had won ten games in a row, shooting fifty percent from deep, I would be looking at that and being like, "Oh fuck," you know. That was like, the Knicks. The, the regression is coming. Yeah. Like we it's it's unavoidable. You can't keep that going forever. That was but the it's Knicks. the fact that it's the fact that they're doing that and they're only shooting okay, which is actually a really good sign. Yeah. 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 Early on in the season I was looking at some stats and I was like, Oh, this team's playing out of their mind with the Knicks and like that's that regression is coming. And it came. It came. You know, if you were smart, you made some money off of it. I think we talked about it on one <laughs> of our episodes. I said if you're looking to bet, bet on the regression for for the Knicks and, and it happened. Uh, but yeah, for the Suns, I think they can get even better, and that's good news. And and that will have to happen once they start playing more difficult teams. Uh, you know, three games against the Warriors between now and Christmas Day, which will be the third game against the Warriors, and they're going to have to. <laughs> they're playing out of their mind right now. They look like the Warriors again. Three games against better. the Warriors in the next month is nuts. Yeah, the, you know the Suns, if the way they're playing, are not going to beat them. But Should that we means just they can get better. We we can probably wait for a future episode to like really preview that match because it's not coming in the next week. But yeah, it's gonna be crazy. Yeah, maybe that's get some, get some Warriors guys on that episode. Yeah, maybe. Um, let me bring up something here. How many do you have left? I've got I one have, stat left. I have one. Okay. Right? Do I have one? Yes, I have one because I read my clutch uh, stat out already as part of that conversation. So here's what I have. Okay, so I wanted to look at net ratings as players. Because my first thought was, who's the best net rating on the Suns? I was really just curious as to who the best uh, was for net ratings on the Suns as far as actual rotation players because I was just wondering. It's been all over the place in previous years, um, but I think we sort of normalized in a way that if you had to predict who it was, it would make sense in your mind. Like last year, for the first half of the season, it was Dario Saric. Which is just, you know, it just didn't make sense. <laughs> there was something happening there that just was not sustainable. Do you want to guess? Do you have any guess? Or maybe you'll know who the number one net rating for rotation players for the Suns is so far this season. 
Is it Frank? It's Mikael Bridges. Oh, okay. And doesn't that make sense? Like, we, I feel like we have normalized in a way that it makes a lot of sense. But I think this second on the team, as far as... And for those who don't understand this set, once again, the team plays the best, essentially, when these players are on the floor so far this season. doesn't mean they're the best player. It just means they have that kind of effect that allows the team to win. Number two, Jay Crowder. And I liked the Jay Crowder one because Jay Crowder, not quite been himself three-point wise either so far this season he's started to get a lot better but clearly defensively he's making a difference and after that it goes to JaVale McGee and Frank Kaminsky who benefit from the time playing with starters Uh, but then after that beyond that and those guys are also lower minutes including Jay Crowder who's played significantly less minutes than even Mikel Bridges so far after that it goes Devin Booker Cameron Payne Chris Paul DeAndre and starts to make more sense from there uh, then Jalen Smith, who's higher than Cameron Johnson. And then I thought this was funny. Uh, Abdul Nader, minus 2.3. And then down at the very, very bottom, Alfred Payton at minus 12.7. <laughs> uh, is bad when he's on the floor. And it's just a def- it's the offensive rating tanks and the defensive rating He hasn't played in a too. while. I feel, you know what? I, I actually feel bad for Alfred because... Don't you think it's been weird? The Suns have had a couple... This is a completely different topic. But the Suns have had a couple of blowout wins like against Memphis. Yeah. Alfred didn't even play. Like yeah. they were they were up by 40 points right. with 2 minutes left and Monty <laughs> had campaign out there, which it's like that's fine, but like yeah, can, campaign you, hasn't can, quite been himself so you can't get him back in the rhythm. But it's like know? even can, even your backup doesn't need to be out there. They're like that's the perfect opportunity where you like you have guys number 11 through 15 on the roster for a reason. And this is yeah. another this is another thing by the way. Where is Ish Wainwright? It yeah. used to be it used to be our call was where is Jeff Bauer? By the way, we don't know where Jeff Bauer is. He's. Yeah. I hope he's well. We know. He's not with the. He's not with the Suns. He picked Jalen Smith and got fired. <laughs> is that? Do you want to? That's your conspiracy theory. I don't think you've ever. It's said not that even mine. It's a friend of ours. <laughs> Shout out to the person who's l- probably listening that made that conspiracy theory up to us. Um, <laughs> do you want to? Exp- do you want to explain that one a little bit? Because I don't think you've ever mentioned it. No, it's just that Jalen Smith was picked and then he didn't quite work out and then and then shortly and then Jeff after Bauer that left. Jeff Bauer left. And uh, yeah, I guess I be- there's, there's I, I, some reasons to use putting two and two together there. I think it's kind of believable. But you know what? I think Jeff Bauer also picked Cam Johnson, maybe. Yeah, I think so. And then you're talking about heat checks, right? For for general managers, uh, you know, you probably earn some cred when you pick Cameron Johnson. Everyone trashes it and then it works out. That buys you some time to pick another player. You know, you could think that James, uh, James Jones or whoever, but James Jones has to rely on his guys too. You can't scout everyone. Anyway, and, uh, um, yeah. To go back to the rotations thing. So, yeah, Alfred didn't even play in that game, so I feel bad for him. But also, where is Ish Wainwright? Like, this guy, yeah. I, 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 when you are blowing teams out by 40 or yeah. 30 points. Right. We're Show never us the gonna, shoulders. We're we haven't never seen the gonna, shoulders in the jersey yet. We got I want. It. I want the anchor arms. I yeah. want anchor arms. We're, yeah. we're not going to, like, there is literally no other. I mean, the other possibility, Mike, is that he's just been really bad in practice. Which is <laughs> <laughs> why Monty is like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not forcing him to display yeah. this to the world right, right now well, he's right? I say this. He's, he's been really great on the bench like as a like yeah. a hype man on the bench like he, but, he really gets into it but then you've got you've got guys like chandler hutchinson too and it's like i'm not really a fan of chandler hutchinson's game like i don't really expect anything of him but he's played nba minutes before and so with him too it's like well why you know give him four or five minutes at the end of a blowout like yeah. it's not yeah. you know not that big of an ask i don't know yeah. if i were those guys i would be sitting there thinking well what the hell what's the point of me <laughs> being on a great team if i'm not going to at least get the garbage time minutes but yeah. anyway 
Well, here's something to add to this net rating. By the way, net rating for individual players is not like, it's not a great stat. It's fine. It's just, it is what it is. Um, but I did, I did think it was something that has been used to sort of uh, get at Devin Booker in the past. You know, they, they kind of look at the net rating while he's on the floor and they're like, why are they getting beat when he's on the floor? Well, he's playing with a bunch of garbage players. You know, that whole conversation that we've all had uh, for, for a long time as Suns fans. But in the entire NBA, for players that are playing over 30 minutes per game, Mikael Bridges is eighth in the NBA for net rating. Devin Booker is 10th. So it's kind of nice to like look at those leaderboards, if you will, for, for net rating and see two Suns players in those leaderboards and say, yeah, those guys are really making a huge difference. And if you watch the season so far, like it's interesting to 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 see the difference between people who have have really paid close, close, close attention to the Suns and people who are looking at Devin Booker's averages and talking about how he's played. Devin Booker has done a lot for this team, especially lately as far as dragging them to some of these victories in this win streak, whether it be in the last Mavs game on Wednesday night, which we've seen, or other times when he just is vital for the team at important moments. And then, of course, Mikael Bridges as well, whose stats are sort of up across the board outside of shooting percentages. These guys have made massive differences. Well, Chris Paul has been incredible as far as passing the ball, but has struggled as far as shooting so far this season compared to his normal self. I think uh, this is yeah, this is a good spot for me to transition because actually my stat is a net rating stat as well, and then I think we're done for the day, right? Yep. Okay, this is a team net rating stat, and you talk about Devin Booker dragging us to victory. So like like I said before, Chris Paul and Devin Booker when they play together, Suns play really well. Mm-hmm. When one of Chris Paul or Devin Booker is on the floor, they play relatively well. But I I don't want to focus on any of those cases. I want to focus on the last case just real quick, just to show. Um, when neither guy is on the floor. And this is obviously, this is the case with the smallest sample size. It's only been a total of around 80-something minutes, so it's an average of about six minutes per game that we get where neither Chris Paul nor Devin Booker is on the floor. But in those six minutes per game so far, they've got a net rating of minus 1.1, which is not bad. It's just barely being outscored. The concerning thing, I mean, it's not good either, you know what I mean? But, but like, it's not, it's not super worrying. The concerning thing is a 91.8 offensive rating. And again, we'll say one more time, the way that works, it's on a per 100 possession basis, which is basically the equivalent of one full game. So a team that has a 91.8 offensive rating, that's basically saying if you extrapolate it out and played those same players for the entire game, they would score on average about 92 points, which is a really bad offense. It's really bad. And if you look at the second unit right now, like on the one hand, I think it is obvious to say, and it is true of basically every team in the league, the offense looks worse when you take the worst players out of the equation. We know that. But last year, the bench was pretty damn good. Like the bench was really damn good sometimes. Mm -hmm. And this year we've struggled to get campaign going. Cam Johnson has, has been better of late, but again, iffy, really iffy with his percentages. Uh, Nader, uh, I don't even know what to say. Uh, JaVale, for his credit, has been great, but I think is not has also proven that he's not like a go-to offensive weapon. Like you can't run the second unit offense through JaVale pick and rolls exactly. You'll get some of them, but it's not it's not the most surefire strategy. Um, and then you've got Shamit, who I think has woke up recently. But again, just kind of, of uh, give me your quick vibe check before we get out of here on the second unit right now because yeah. I keep thinking about this yeah. and and here's here's why I'm thinking about it specifically. To this point, 
I think this is going to be become really relevant when we like preview the game against the Warriors, by the way. The biggest thing that I have felt like the Suns roster is missing, where it's like, okay, go out and get me this at the deadline and I'll feel better about our chances of really winning a championship um, or, or getting to the finals again, is that Tory Craig player. Like, I've really missed having a Tory Craig player who can slide up to the five, is, is uh, versatile, uh, can guard multi, uh, multiple positions and all that. But the more I watch the bench struggle... You know, the, also the more I'm wondering is is the bench really enough? Is you know is is there a need to sacrifice whatever remaining few assets you have? And I think even even like scraping a package together would be tough. But how long can campaign and Cam Johnson kind of struggle before you start to think about pulling the trigger on like okay, let's get like a sixth or seventh man type guy who just puts the ball in the basket off the bench because so far we don't really have that in a good way. What do you think? I'm not worried about it for a couple of reasons. I think that DeAndre Ayton's injury screwed up the bench rotations a little bit in in a way that I think affected the chemistry of the bench because, and here's what I'll look, I looked up, the full bench lineup, the entire bench with JaVale McGee and not Frank Kaminsky is actually plus 12.2 so far this season in a very small amount of minutes just 26 minutes so far this season one they don't play a lot uh every game you said six minutes a game without chris paul and devin booker on the floor some of those have come in blowouts where they're just you know other guys are playing for extended stretches but some of those comes when when monty has put full bench lineups on the floor with frank kaminsky with jalen smith instead of javel those lineups are getting killed they're not doing well so far so i think so that that's one. affected Mm-hmm. Step one: Don't play Jalen Smith. <laughs> don't play Jalen Smith. That'll help a lot. I think we knew that. And, yeah. And for whatever reason, Frank Kaminsky has much, much, much better chemistry with Devin Booker and Chris Paul on the floor. I think that Cameron Payne and Javale McGee coming out of training camp, they specifically talked about working on their chemistry in training camp and focusing on those two playing together. And we just haven't seen enough of it. Like full bench lineups, just twenty six minutes, just with Cameron Payne and Javale McGee. Cameron Payne also injured. For an extended stretch. By the way, if Alfred Payton is in those minutes without Devin, no, Booker that's a good point. Chris Paul, that's a good point. Yep. Yeah, that that makes a major effect on it. So when I that looked is up, something that is something I didn't think about for sure. Yeah, when I looked at full bench lineups, the full bench, the ones that we were excited about, when uh, including Nader, by the way, that's included in these minutes, the ones that we were excited about coming into the season, they've played well as a unit. And the other reason I'm not super worried about it is. We just don't play. We just don't play a lot of minutes without Chris Paul and Devin Booker on the floor. And as the games get really more important, that will go down even more. Um, so I'm actually excited to see more chemistry from the bench going forward because plus twelve point two. Look, small sample size, obviously twenty six minutes, but plus twelve point two is it's nothing to bark at. That's actually really good. And uh, I think just from an eye test perspective, the chemistry between Javale McGee and Cameron Payne has been really good so far this season. Uh, Payne, not great at lobs last season, has become a lot better at them so far this season. One thing I wanted to point out, and this will really be my last stat for the game because I don't have like a detailed analysis here um, or stat for the day. But if you just look at the per 36 numbers and go down the line of this team right now, JaVale McGee is in second at 21.4 points per 36. That's like he's averaging 21, 15, two and a half blocks. Crazy numbers. Frank Kaminsky is third at 19. DeAndre Ayton is fourth at 18.7. So for all the criticisms about feed eight and you know yeah. this this offense neglects bigs whatever, 
it's kind of just a lie. Like, like, look at that. Yeah, it always You're, has been. Yeah. It, yeah, maybe it always has been. <laughs> yeah. But particularly when you look at the numbers this year, it's Devin Booker scoring the most points. And then on a permanent basis, JaVale, Frank, DeAndre. And then it's campaign, and then it's Alfred Payton, Chris Paul, Shamit Bridges, like Jay Crowder and Cam Johnson are way down. It's not like the shooters are being favored really at all. The the bigs, the rolling bigs, uh, is kind of like the first, uh, maybe other than like a Devin Booker getting to a spot, hit a mid-range shot. That other pick-and-roll offense is kind of like the main ingredient to the Suns' offense right now. Yep. So yep. those guys are definitely being fed adequately, all three of them. You don't get Chris Paul to not pass to big men. <laughs> That's like one of his biggest skills. Uh, yeah, and I think that we've seen that so far in the Suns. The biggest takeaway for me is that this team has won 10 in a row. One of the best teams in the NBA so far. Uh, one, to people listening, who cares if people are talking about the Suns? Just listen to our podcast. We'll talk about them. Uh, <laughs> and but, two, they could play yeah. better. That's the main thing. They could play better, and they will, I think. Who ca- okay, so who cares if people talk about the Suns? However, I understand where it comes from. Um, they will start talking about the Suns if you keep winning one or two more. Like, yeah. this episode is coming out. You're probably listening to this. Uh, you Friday, might be listening right. to this after the Mavs game on Friday, in which case I hope they win tomorrow. Because yeah. if they beat Healthy Luka on ESPN primetime tomorrow yeah. Yeah. and extend it to 11, I promise you the... the um, Feature pieces about what's going on with the Suns are going to start coming out on Monday of the following week. I promise. Yes. Yes. Giving Chris Paul all of the credit, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll be back next week. No Patreon episode this week. I'm sorry. Being sorry. sick kind of threw off our schedule there. But we'll be back to our uh, regular schedule next week now that I'm feeling better, assuming no other surprises. Appreciate everybody for listening. We'll be back soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.